This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Like to admit it or not, 
The same thing happens when people who don't know a lot about UX and when you're trying to get into it, of course you don't know. None of us did. And, and that will never change. People who are just starting out, they don't have a filter, don't know which way to go. You need someone to point you in the right direction. And so Google is out there. People want to learn. So they think, well, they equate Google with success. But folks, there's no reason to equate Google with UX expertise. There's no reason to do that. So because of that, People are jumping on board. And, and and Debbie Levitt did a fantastic episode where she had three people who attended that Google UX certification course and they were talking about their their ex their experience there. Would you really want to do work and then have it graded by your peers? To have your work graded by people who know just as much or less than you? Well, that's what's happening that people are cheating. We've heard those reports. And so what I'll get, I want to go on a, a long tangent about that. The folks at user wizard are, are making sure to educate people the right way. I've spoken for the folks at user wizard. I appeared on their show one day. They fully embrace and understand the four pillars of UX. They fully understand and embrace the fact that you need to do things the right way. It's not enough to just want to grow. It's not enough to just want to be a UXer. You have to approach it the right way or all of that zeal, all of that passion is going to go down the wrong street. And, and I was interacting with somebody on LinkedIn recently and I was talking to them about some of these same type of things. And the person said, well, Darren, I just don't have time to do all those things. Do you have time to clean up? You have the time. People trick themselves into thinking they don't have time. And I've said this before. One of the key things any of us needs, it doesn't matter what discipline you're going into today. If you don't have patience, you're going to end up misstepping somewhere along the way and nobody has time to clean up spilled milk. Just, just It's just a truth. And so we have to embrace that. Looking at the user wizard site, and that's user-wizard.com. They talk about designing your own career path. And I love how they started off here. They say that UX unicorns are a myth. Don't try to be a unicorn. There are people out there. I mean, this is this is front and center when you go to their websites, with their webpage. There are people who will tell you the direct opposite and and then try to get you to plunk down thirty, forty, and fifty thousand dollars. There's a degree program I'm thinking about where that said they try to tell you you need to be a unicorn. And 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 that couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's really amazing. Uh, User Wizard goes on to talk about how that we need to value skills because they're unique assets for your career transition. Letting you know they're they're highlighting helping people that are transitioning into UX. They say here, just reading right off their site. Many paths lead to a UX career and finding the right one is a challenge. So User Wizard is a mentoring program for career transitioners on their way to to becoming professional user advocates. Folks, this is phenomenal. The work that they're doing, I love what they're doing. And again, I love the fact that they're willing to tell you exactly what's going on 
exactly what you need to do. They're not going to give you a bunch of false promises. They're not going to rake you over the coals with a lot of misdirection. They're going to give it to you straight. And and I respect any resource that's willing to give it to people straight, especially considering how bad misinformation is in the world of UX today. So that said, let's entertain some questions that we have here. I'm going to make sure to bring up my my screen with the questions on it. And we've got a few here. I I will probably going to go a little longer than normal, but um, let's, let's, let's dive right in. Here we go. Question number one, uh, and I'll call some of the people's names out here. Thank you, Dara. Some people have more than one question. That's fine. But Dara asks, do you have any solid resources for voice from an education perspective? I found a few, but looking for opinions. Want to add voice to my graphical interfaces. So here specifically, the person is asking about voice as it relates to user experience design. Now, there is a phrase for this, and it's called oral. So anybody who's looking up information about user experience and audio incorporated into design and trying to understand how to meld the two and best practices, you can just do a basic search on the internet and you can look up oral design, A-U-R-A-L, oral design, that involves how you design for voice in conjunction with UX. And you might want to say oral design UX. So that way it'll it'll be a little bit more uh, specific in your responses. If you just look for for oral design, you're going to come up with a whole lot of other things that, that you're going to find. Oh my goodness, what is this? Darren said to do this. <laughs> no, it's, it is important to know. So you will find some pretty interesting resources out here. Uh, there's some people are talking about the role of UX and robotics. You'll see something about that. Interaction Design Foundation has an article that's talking about it. There's a uh, top tool has that has a uh, an article called a quick guide to designing UX sounds and audio in conjunction with a digital experience has actually been around for a while, but it's sort of taken a backseat and you haven't seen it a lot. It's something that's not too common, but there are instances where sound will come into play. I mean, think about gaming, if you will. If you're designing in the gaming industry, sounds are huge, are they not? If you're designing games for for tablets or for mobile phones, sounds and the way you incorporate the, the audio portion of the experience, the oral design, is going to be critical to the success of what you do. Oral design is a part, in some cases, of the way you give feedback. I mean, if you, I'm, I, I'm big on, I love Mighty Networks now. I, I've been sort of trying to find a different social media solution. We actually have one. Feel free to reach out and join us. Uh, reach out to me. I, I, there's no way for me to share the, the URL here on the podcast. I can put it in the in the description for the podcast. I don't make it easier for people to get to it. But we, we're actually using... Uh, something called Mighty Networks, and there is a, a new social media area that we start a private social media group, and it's called Engage. So again, I'll put that link in the description with the with the podcast, how, how you access the podcast. There you'll see the link for Engage there. And anytime you post something, 
when you're done, there is a a, 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 a very brief hint of audio or oral feedback so that you know that the process is complete. The, the process is, you, or you see, you see a confirmation visually, and then you also get a confirmation audibly. So that way you know. If you're in the, the network and there's a, someone comes in and they like something or they post something, you'll also get some feedback. You can turn it off if you want, but that's just one of the, a really quick and simple example of where oral feedback or oral design does play a part in some way, form, or fashion, a lot less today than it did when it comes to standard digital website types of of experiences, but it is still a thing today. So I would recommend just going, doing a search. Remember, oral design UX, search for that. You'll come across a lot of different references. Uh, It's something I haven't done. I did it some years ago, uh, back when we had a lot of interfaces where the navigation was all done in Macromedia Flash. Yeah, that's really going going back a ways, going over that. And audio had to be a part of that. It was a part, there were a lot of visual things that were happening in these settings, and there were some audio things that were happening, uh, but it's not as as frequent. It's not as common as it once was. So just something to, to keep in mind. Do the search. You'll It'll be, a as always, it's a, another avenue of continued education that we engage in as a user experience professional. You'll continue to find resources. You'll continue to build a personalized learning network that has that category so you can build in that area and you just go from there. Next question is from Hannah and Hannah is asking, how do you feel about the apprenticeship model? Apprenticeship is fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. It is one of the best ways for a person who is new to UX or is transitioning into UX to get your feet wet, a way for you to get some solid experience, a way for you, because you if you're in an apprenticeship, you're going to have mentors. And mentors are extremely valuable today. So apprenticeship models are great because you're going to spend the entire time when you're in that apprenticeship actually building your your knowledge, your skills, your acumen in UX instead of, of hypothesizing, which is what a lot of experiences do, uh, just have people hypothesizing about how you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Some people will give you a high-level view of a particular topic associated with UX, never go into any detail, expose you to work when you don't really know anything, and then a lot of them will tell you, okay, now you're ready. No, you're not even remotely <laughs> in a position to go out and engage from a work standpoint. And, and so it's really sad that that's happening a lot, but that is one of the most common things that's happening today. If you are fortunate enough to land an apprenticeship, treat it like gold. It is. Make the most out of it, learn everything you can, and get ready to go forward. Don't fall for some of these issues. There was Lyft. I I like Lyft, (laughs) but uh, Lyft just started a a user research program where they're bringing in entry-level people. You don't have to have any experience whatsoever to get into this program. Matter of fact, if you have a degree, you can't get into the program. So they're trying to bring people in and then they say you'll work with them for four months and then after that you're done. That's problematic and and it's problematic for several reasons. Uh, One is 
it's going to take you two months to onboard, which leaves you two months to do some work. If you can't learn UX in six months at a boot camp, and you can't, you're not going to learn a whole lot about UX research in two months <laughs> over there with Lyft. So it's a, what they're proposing is not really wise. It's not advisable. It's not a good thing to do. And what company is going to train you and then send you out to go and work somewhere else? That sounds like a really foolish use of capital, of working capital, something that apparently a lot of people have forgotten about when it comes to business. So not a good idea. Find an apprenticeship where you're going to be there for a bit. It's going to be dedicated. They're really going to help you grow. And they're not making promises. I mean, Lyft not making promises. But but also, it's just a silly proposition to do that. Who's It's like giving away money. And and that doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't expect anything to come of that. But in general, the apprenticeship model is indeed a good thing. Okay, question number three is also from Hannah. And Hannah is asking, what options then exist for low-income people who don't have access to college classes? That's a great question, and I'm going to refer those of you who have time to go out out to YouTube, to my UX Uncensored channel on YouTube. Look up my talk, The Trouble with UX Education. And the reason why I'm recommending that is because there is a host of of, how can I say, I, I address the entire educational spectrum when it comes to establishing a strategy or establishing a strategy for how to pursue the, the educational solution that best works for you. And I call it educational economics. So if you don't have the money, and some people don't. It, it, it just simply is not realistic for some people to pursue a college degree. It, it's just not realistic in some cases. When that's the case, maybe there's these, the, the self-learning path is, is better. Maybe something like the Interaction Design Foundation where you pay either a monthly fee, something, I can't remember exactly what it is. It's something uh, like approximately 10 US dollars that you pay a month. It used to be you had to pay the whole thing up front. Now you pay monthly fee, which works for a lot of people. And a lot of the content out there, it actually is some of the best learning content that has been on the internet for a very long time. I'm not a fan of the design thinking segment, the design thinking part of it, that can go away. But a lot of the information out there is fantastic. There there are human computer interaction Encyclopedia is fantastic. It's a resource that every UX professional should be tapping into. Absolutely wonderful stuff. So I highly recommend that people tap into something like that. So you, again, you've got self-learning, you, which means you're going to end up having to buy books. So you, there's no way uh, other than, I mean, going and looking up certain articles on the internet and then sort of deep diving those, that, that's going to be a little bit rough because the content is so brief when you compare it to what's in a book. Books are the better way to go. You have YouTube channels that you can tap into for free. The problem with this route, as is a problem with some of the other routes where you do have to spend more money, is that there's a ton of, we already talked about this a little bit, there's a ton of misinformation out there. So if you go to particular YouTube channels, 
And I was looking at one earlier today. There was a dialogue I was having with someone because somebody was saying that nobody can make certain statements about about boot camps. Well, if you do the research, you can. If you know anything about educational uh, um, uh, excellence, you can. Uh, and so I responded and I said that that was a, an irresponsible statement to make. And I was dialoguing with someone. Well, you got this person out there. We had a great conversation, but, um, and, and I think I'm really, really thankful for how, how well they received what I said, because usually when you contradict someone's bias and one of the ways you can tell us a bias is because they get, they get pretty uh, incensed about it. They don't really approach or examine what you said from an academic perspective. They don't look at it objectively. They just respond in a hostile manner. So that's not good. We need to make sure that we're always looking at things from an academic perspective. That's how you learn. That's how we engage in critical thinking. And then that way we understand, okay, the person made these points and I can see it to some extent, but I'm not feeling good about this part over here because I have this evidence on the other side to say otherwise. That's when you know you're approaching something and examining it from an academic perspective. That's what we need to do. But at any rate, you've got the, the self-learning perspective. Keep the risks in mind. You have some low-cost options that are out there. It's going to cost you something, even if it's just time, <laughs> effort, and energy. It's going to cost you something. But yeah, it is totally understandable uh, that some people do not approach a, um, do not approach this from a, how can we say, um, from a college degree perspective, because it just simply is not realistic. So uh, that said, we'll, we'll leave that there. We'll leave it at that. Uh, next, another question from Hannah. If you're currently in a boot camp, do you recommend dropping out? It is my personal recommendation that if it is possible, and I have recommended people do this before, if you can get out, get out. <laughs> because it's just, you have, it's a really bad value proposition from the beginning with UX boot camps. And they promised you a job. Nobody can promise you a job. Um, they said, well, you know, when you do get a job with well, some of them, if you do get a job, we'll, we'll just take the money out of your check. You're not going to want to, you opt, people opt into that because it sounds good. When they start taking the money from you, it's going to be uh, really, really painful and you're going to regret it. You're going to have a really high level of regret when it comes to that. And, and, and that's not going to be good for your mental health. Uh, it's not going to be good for your finances either. So just something to know and to keep in mind when it comes to that. Um, you want to make sure that understand what the clause is, understand what the legal ramifications are. It is your choice. But again, if, there, if there's an option and you're not going to create any problems for yourself and your family, it's in your best interest to walk away. But remember, it's your choice. I am not legally re reliable for anything that happens. It's your choice. You opted in. It's your choice. You have to decide what you're going to do about that boot camp. Okay, the next question is from Audubon. And Audubon is asking, how about NNG Group, Nielsen Norman Group, and the courses that they're offering there? Um, there there's, um, I've got mixed feelings about, about that. And 
somebody be said, well, Darren, you how can you have mixed feelings about NN, NNG? Don't you have a certification from NNG? I actually have two. <laughs> I actually have two certifications from NNG. Let me let me tell you why I I have mixed feelings about NNG as we enter into the extended part of the of the uh, broadcast today because we've got all this extra information here. I, I figure it's better. No sense in extending this to next week. Let's just go ahead and finish these questions up here. And now, if you go to classes at NNG, um, pandemic aside, because with the pandemic, we have the option of taking courses online. So when you take courses online, then you just sign up for the course. You know, you you sign up, you're you're all set there. And you when it's time for the course, you log in, you go through the course, and you're good to go. And if you have another course the next day, then you log on that day and you you get into the course materials, you go through the work in the course, and you know, it's just you have this cycle. When we're not in a pandemic, you have to travel if traveling is applicable, if you're in one of the locations where they're offering the courses, you don't have what I'm about, what I'm getting at here. You don't have the extra expenses. Like for me, I live in Southfield, Michigan. When I attended all of my NNG classes, I would always go to, uh, I believe I went to Toronto once. I want to say I went to Toronto, but I, I most recently it was all DC. Let's just focus on Washington, D.C. So I go to Washington, D.C., and I go, I make two trips to Washington, D.C. to attend courses through Nielsen Norman Group. So I go through the courses, then we finish everything, and then now, because you can't take the certification test at Nielsen Norman Group until you take the associated courses. Are you starting to hear what, what I'm getting at? It costs you, you got to get a plane ticket, round trip plane ticket. Even if you're driving, then you got still got to deal with the expenses associated with that. You have to, whether you're driving or flying, you have to get a hotel room. Hotels in Washington, D.C. are not cheap. Hotels anywhere where you're going for these, for these courses are not going to be cheap. So you have the cost for the courses, which is not cheap. You've got the plane fare which is not cheap. You've got the hotel, so your room and your board, which is not cheap. If you get there and you rent a car, that's added expense. So all of that is tied into going to these courses with NNG. Now, for a lot of people, people say, Darren, I do not care. My company's going to pay for it. I don't have to worry about paying for that. My company is helping me out. They want to invest in me. They're willing to pay. Well, let me tell you something about my mentality and then do with it what you will. But my mentality as a UX professional extends well beyond the work. It also includes the, the relationships. It includes the managing of the brand personally, management of the team brand, which includes not wasting money. Everybody get that. So, the fact that the company is going to pay, when they do that, that is a wonderful benefit 
to have, and, and it's a wonderful intrinsic benefit because if you're at a company that's willing to invest in you as an individual, that's something that makes you feel really good about being with that company. But why waste the money? And now this is where, and, and it, so I, I, again, I have two NNG certifications. I, I personally would rather have the Human Factors International. I won't get into the whys for that, but I think I'd rather have had that. Um, I do love the HFI book about the institutionalization of UX. That is a phenomenal book. If you don't have it, that's just a, it's a must have book that really helps when it comes to managing the UX maturity level in your organization, helping UX to become mainstream within your given organization. That book addresses that. I don't remember NNG talking about that at all. So just to give you a little sneak peek as to why I'd rather have the one over the other looking at it from a hindsight perspective. When I went to the classes, everything, you you go through the materials, the person is presenting the materials, then you have exercises. It's great, and that does align with proper education. There's presentation, there's application, and there's feedback. So all proper learning experiences require those three things to be in place. When you're studying with Nielsen Norman Group, you do get those things. The content is good. I, I I never experienced any bad content whatsoever, but I also, and, and this is me and it applies to some, some of you out there as well. I like learning and I like sub- submitting myself to something just in case there's a gap somewhere and then I want to identify the gap. I could have taken the test and been done. I could take the Human Factors International test today and be done. The thing, the difference between Human Factors International and Nielsen Norman Group is Nielsen Norman Group. You have to take the courses. You can't just test out. At Human Factors International, they will let you pay a fee so you can just take the test. And the fee, which last I remember was somewhere around somewhere between five hundred and fifty and seven hundred U.S. dollars, is a whole lot cheaper than spending seven eight thousand dollars on courses. So do you see? part of the reason why today. So so just keep in mind, if you're going to go to Nielsen Norman Group, a lot of the information they go over, it's not bad information at all, and, and, and they're going to be solid there. But the fact that you can't test out, it, it's something that I personally am concerned with, that I don't think it's the wise way to go, that if you have enough domain knowledge you can sign up with HFI, take the test, and you can get certain materials and, and you'll be good there. And you're going to always be learning anyway, so it's not like you're, you're missing anything. If you can pass the test, then go for it. Don't worry about, don't worry about going through the test. Uh, and so the, another thing that I think is critical is that when you test with Nielsen Norman Group, it's an open book test. That's one of the main reasons I'm not happy with it today. It's better if it was proctored and you really had to know your stuff in order to pass the test, but you don't, which is why a lot of people are getting the NNG certifications today and they really don't know their craft. They're really not skilled. I've met people that don't even care about UX. They, they don't care about the discipline. They just want that check and they like being associated with the discipline for some reason but they do not really value the discipline 
at all. And I won't get into the whys, why I say that, but if you listen to me any length of time, you know there's I could go on and on uh, about why why I have drawn that conclusion today. But taking an open book test, I could have done that without going to the class, even if I was a newbie. So the validation factor associated with that experience, I thought today I'm finding it questionable. And I know somebody's going to end up quoting me on this. And hey, I'm just telling you what I saw. I'm telling you what I did. You go to the class, you get a flash drive with the course materials. You sit down, you take the test, you search through the PDFs to find the answers. You answer the questions. You get the certification. It doesn't mean you know anything. So I have a serious problem, especially as an educator. I have a serious problem with that. Um, On one hand, it's not that big of an issue because as long as you can find the answer, it's showing that you have (laughs) some some type of resourcefulness, but it's just churning out, and churning is the perfect word for it, it's churning out people who don't have skill. And that's a threat to the discipline. So that's my concern with that. And I know some people, somebody even said NNG is fantastic. It's good to a, to a degree. It, it's, I'd rather you just go get the education and don't get the certification. Just go to the classes and come back. They're, they're going to have that. I know that that's silly, a silly thought, but I, I'm saying it to make a point. If the certification doesn't really render any real benefits, it, it really does not. It has never helped me. To my knowledge, it's never helped me in my job seeking. It's never helped me to get an interview. Uh, and so, and I've got two master's degrees and two certifications. Uh, really, I've got two master's degrees, a grad, a, a grad certain educational technology. I mean, my my, I'm not going to go down that list again. I've got a lot of credentials, a lot of them, and people don't care. So, <laughs> see, it's just something to to know and understand today. And the last question in this extended version of the podcast, and this one comes from Odebong as well. You said that designers should not use boot camp portfolio formats. Why do you say that? It's because there is a growing trend in the hiring world of UX today where people are, if they see that you're, you are using a format in your portfolio, and I'm thinking it's got to be the content as well that's in it. When they see this cookie cutter approach to portfolios, a lot of hiring managers immediately disqualify that person from consideration. This is something that's happening, folks. This is happening. You cannot use the format that the folks in the boot camps are giving you to create your portfolio. You need to go, if you're going through a boot camp, okay, you, you, you did it, it's done, okay, you're there and you're gonna, you wanna build on what you've got because that, that's what you've got. So we're not gonna throw that out uh, because you got it, that's, you, you've gotta use it because it's, it's, it's in your wheelhouse now, so you gotta use it. But you don't have to use that format that they gave you for the, for the portfolio. That will work against you. So please, please, please look at options for your portfolios. Try putting them on, on your own site. For God's sake, let's get rid of the Wixes. Let's get rid of the Behances. 
Let's get rid of the dribbles today. And Behance and dribbles for visual designers anyway. It's not even a, a place for UX professionals. And everybody's running out there. And when I hear that, if I'm interviewing and I see that, that stuff had better be good because my first inclination is to dismiss you because you're engaged, not necessarily in the cookie cutter format, you're engaged in a cookie cutter mindset and approach to UX. And I'm looking for somebody who's done a little more. I'm, I'm looking for somebody who's trying to stand out of a truth. I'm looking for somebody that's done some of the research and understand some of the pitfalls. And yes, I will give that person extra credit above the other people as long as they have the other things that I'm looking for. So just speaking from a hiring manager's point of view today. So that is it, folks, though. That is the last question. I want to thank the folks at User Wizard for for forwarding those and these questions were questions that came out of the the talk that i had with them um, really happy about the attendees happy about again the work they're doing over there at user wizard way to go go get them marie happy for you guys always reach out to me at any time and let me know if there's anything i can do to help support your cause but that is all the time we have for tonight, folks. Thank you again for joining me on today. But this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX Podcast, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.